there's only one way we're going to find out whether it works for us or on our situation or on our hill mm. country. We can try it, and if it doesn't work, well, at least we know. To the best of our ability, put every effort into making it work, and so far we're seeing the results. So essentially we're on the journey we want it to be, and it might get tweaked along the way and a few things might change, but as long as we are watching what's happening and making observations and testing and doing what we have to do, then we can't really go wrong. Welcome to the Quorum Sense podcast, where we explore how New Zealand farmers are creating more resilient, regenerative and enjoyable farming systems. I'm John O'Frew. And I'm Duncan Hub. Today we're joined by Mark and Laura from Hawk Hills and the Inland Kaikoris, farming sheep and beef on extensive hill country that brings some unique challenges introducing regenerative principles as young farmers. Mark and Laura tell an inspiring story of courage, partnership and discovery as they embark on their natural farming journey. So we're joined today by Mark and Laura, owners of Hawk Hill Station up in Nali Hill Country. So they're, they're 4,000 stock units, 1,600 hectares. Um, also got Duncan Hunt here. How are you, Dunk? Good, mate. Good. What I want to start with is really to no small farm. I've been to your farm. It's amazing. You've got all this diversity of topography and landscape. What do you love about your farm and, and what do you find challenging about it at the same time? I think when we first got there, it was the the big open spaces, eh? Like the mm. massive country, and like compared for us anyway, compared coming from um, Canterbury, more flat farms and that. And the amount of, I guess, native biodiversity that was already there, amount of bush, you know, parents always enjoyed hunting, enjoyed hunting myself. And it was just, you know, right on the back of the doorsteps, you know, and the views. Like it's the opportunities that the farm mm. itself gave us. Like you can walk onto the station and anything you think you might want to do on a farm, you can do it. You can farm one type of way or you could do a different. You're not restricted. And because there's so much diversity and there's so much bush and it just it's pretty limitless. And you can stand on the top of our hill and you can see Kaikoura or you can see the coast or you can see Cheviot or you can see way down south. But you can't get that many places and still have the scope we've got. So we're pretty... Pretty lucky, really. And the definite challenge, it's steep. Um, it's bushy cut. and rugged, like just rugged bush too. Like it's not clean, open country and it's not the type of station you can, like I'll never forget the first couple of years where there would have people come up and go, oh, how can you lose cattle or how can you leave sheep behind or something? And you go, oh, I'd like to see you try, thanks very much. <laughs> and then up they come and, you know, four or five cattle wander off in a bush never to be seen again for four days or something and... Yeah, that's probably the biggest yeah. challenge in the yeah. farm is it's not mm. open and clean and you can't you can't control everything and you can't fence it you can't solve the problem you can't yeah. just say oh, just fence that bush off or something because for 40 50 percent of a block is bush yeah, that's not like on you know down on the flats or something you go and drive around the paddock no. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and you can get every last animal out and <laughs> yeah. it's all you can every animal wins every animal out mm. yeah so it'd be quite a different challenge no and you say, you know, when you come from Canterbury, what were you guys doing before you you's moved up to Kaipora, to, to Hawke Hill, and, and how long have you been up there now together? Um, so, pretty much, so I was on the family dairy farm, but I literally finished Lincoln University, and I was, I was working on the farm, but just helping out on the dairy farm. Grew up in home in Miffin, on a dairy and deer farm, and I think I just... We were working with Dad with the deer at the time, 
and helping out my sister through the dairy farm. And then we always had an urge to go up to the, st- uh, to the high country to go sheep and beef. Always loved my sheep, always had pet sheep when I was younger. And around the dairy farm and, you know, got into breeding stud Dorset Downs and just enjoyed that sort of thing. So that's the kind of farming I wanted to get into. And had worked on a few farms around Geraldine and that and around McCannery as well. And then I just had, we just had the opportunity with our parents at the start to be able to give us a, a sheep and beef property. Um, and to lead us up to Kaikoura was pretty much the price tag around Oxford, like the McCannery stations or the area of foothills that, that was phenomenal to buy a sheep and beef farm. There, yeah, yeah, you couldn't see how you would make it. So you guys um, were together from uni? And, and yes. just for the listeners, how old are you guys? Um, well, I'm 28 and Mark's 29, turning 30 next week. So mm. we've been together for 11 years now. Um, 11 years, yeah. So yeah, we were together when we bought the farm. I, Both Mark and I were at uni. I was in Wellington when Mark bought this farm. I graduated just after he bought it and then very kindly um, took off to the other side of the world for about nine, ten months. I might think I'll be the first month Mark moved in. I was like, see you later, I'll be back soon. And, um, <laughs> sort the teething problems yeah. out of the morning. I was like, I'll come I'm back and it'll be... <laughs> They good as gold when I get back, but um, yeah, no, we were very much together, and it was a, it was a massive move for Mark to buy a farm, and I just sort of went along for the ride in the beginning and said, I'm not going to stop you doing your dream, you'd never stop me, and we were in very different parts of the world doing, I was doing a design degree for one thing, and Mark was doing a farming degree, so we couldn't be more polar opposite, so he wanted to do it, and yeah, it's been a massive learning curve for me, learning the farm and learning everything that comes with it. Like I've grown up rurally and always been a part of my life, but never to the extent that Mark was and never to the extent that I ever imagined I was going to end up living and loving a massive farm and thinking about being there for the rest of our life, but definitely wouldn't change it now, that's for sure. It's kind of gone good now, but mm. it was challenging at the start. But it's been, that. we've been mm. there just on seven years now, and it's been a long seven years. Like, it's been a big process to get where we are today. Like, it hasn't been nice little rainbows, and it's not mm. been pretty. Like, it's been rough. But we wouldn't, yeah, like I said, we wouldn't change it. And we were incredibly lucky that we had family support behind us because we wouldn't have done it any other way. There was mm. not a not a chance. No one we does have alone, do they? So. No, and not when we t- we were literally talking about a hundred percent on the loan. Thanks very much. Like you don't do that. Mm. Um, and so without that opportunity, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we're really lucky that where we stand now is it's in our name and in our ownership, and it's us going forward and the way life's led it to feet. be. It's on our mm. own two feet, and it's good and bad in some ways. It means that when we make a mistake, it's on our back too. But. It's also pretty exciting to think that what we're doing is changing our future and making decisions for us going forward. So it's pretty cool to be a big part of that and not have someone else dictate what we're doing. And Definitely. Even though our parents weren't like that. No, that, yeah, I'm making them sound like those, horrible people. They were brilliantly supportive, supportive people. <laughs> no, but the, you, know, you couldn't ask for better mm. as well. And so when you first moved on to the farm, how did you decide what sort of farm you were going to run you know did you both have different ideas on stock classes and enterprises talk us through the the trajectory of mm. those different classes on on farm and to what you've got now well that's pretty actually easy answer it was conventional mindset so to speak and I just wanted performance yep. so I did 
everything like you want to do. Like we put in crops, we put in, we put fertilizer on. Um, I wanted the fertilizer, the, some of the better hill country, so got the plains in. And this is all over the last, over the next, over the first three or four years. Um, to you know, to get try and get better grass growth and all that. Um, and stop performance was a key thing. We wanted to. I wanted to change the shape of the sheep as well. To they were not saying they were bad sheep, but yeah, the, it was one of the smaller compact sheep. Um, the cattle were already good; they were very well bred, so that wasn't really much of a change to them. I just yeah, just wanted bigger calves off them. So did you start with? Did you buy all the buy stock? Buy all the stock. Yeah, we yeah. bought everything yeah. with the farm so we brought all the stock on the farm because a for one we didn't want to bring in a whole bunch of stock to a hilly rough country and expect them to not fall off a cliff or eat a bit of toast mm. and yep. die within the first year of being there so we thought keep it simple buy the stock that came with the farm and then work at changing it into something we wanted them to be mm. and that's exactly yep. what we've done so we bought a whole lot and then within the first six months we sold a whole lot and we culled out started culling out a whole lot of ewes that mm. we didn't want and we started it's been a slow process, but we've bought the bulls we wanted, and now seven years on, we've got the size sheep we want, and everything's about right, and the cattle are the mm. size they need yeah. to be, and they're built for the hill country more than they were. And and there was a bit of learning of management and what we we're doing. So we had some advice from other people as well, and there's a few key people that said a few, just these one changing moments that just said to do something, and I just listened and we did it, and I'm like, oh, Okay, how come someone else didn't? You know, some I paid farm advisors to help me, and they didn't never could mention it. And then after me, and he told me I was telling my story, and he just said, "Oh, you just need to spread like at lambing. It was a certain lambing because I was losing lambs. He said, I just need to spread your ewes out more. Just keep going. Like you spread them out, but you need to go more." Um, and I said to him, "Why? How come farm advisors haven't told me?" You know, I, did, I told you the exact same as what the farm advisors, and they just said, you're doing fine. But this guy just said, no, just said, do it more. So that was a big game changer on our ewes um, as well. So was that sort of the, just yeah, a, just a, a, a local dude? Yeah. Uh, someone yeah. in the community? That's yeah, yeah. Like... They just, yeah, whispered out and just said it, and I was like, radio. So that kind of, for the sheep performance, just helped out quite a lot. And then we've kind of, that we've gone form through that at the, from the start, and then that got our ewes in better health, um, and then the management around that was just got it better. Um, so that was just a learning curve in general. So if you're conventional farming, that's you know you'll do it at that. You should be doing it like that anyway. That's yeah, well, just, so bear in mind you're still like early twenties yeah. at this point. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, we we learned <laughs> a hell a lot of learning first time. <laughs> but I came in with guns and blazing, thinking you know, you know, put food on, put crops on. You know, and we were growing fantastic crops. So well, you came from a, you've got a yeah. thing, you came from a dairy farming, a very high-performing dairy mm. farming background, which was throwing everything into the ground to make everything come <coughs> out of the ground. Like, that was the backbone of your entire mm. childhood was doing it like that. So, yes. of course, your natural way of coming onto a farm was going to be, right, I want a crop and I want it to be X big and it's going to be way bigger than the fella across the road because I know how to grow it and I know how to do it. And it's just, that's how it's going to be. And, and we did, and they were, and they we were did achieve that. Yeah, yeah we yeah, did yeah. achieve that. I think within the first year of being day. there, people thought you were mm. half mad or something mm. because we had this many paddocks in Lucerne and they'd never seen Lucerne up the road. We had paddocks in Beat and they'd never seen it. Before only just started doing like just year started, before, yeah. I had nine years of growing it. Like I've been growing it with Dad since I was a teenager. Yes. 
And we just, like, first year I was there, no, the first and second year, yeah, I won the crop yield or something, and then hmm. we just, it just carried on, but, yeah. Everyone thought just, you were this mad 20-year-old who yeah. decided he was going to come up and show everyone else what he was up to. It was <laughs> mad. It I was going to say, is there some truth? <laughs> yeah, there's some very good truth to this one. You think back now, it's like, Ooh. But, you know, it gave us what we did today and showed actually people what you could do in that sort of environment. Um, but also, you know, we did all that, but we weren't making any money. And that's what was annoying me. And I just thought for a long time, oh, that will, will cap, you know, it will, you know, it will eventually come. Yep. You know, we're, you know, we're growing on grass, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But it just never did. We seem to be applying the same amount of fertilizer every year, not being able to reduce it. Like, I'm like, but I can't get, and I couldn't get the, really the performance to get it right up there to make it. So I'm like, this isn't going good. Yeah. Um, well, it's just sort of that feeling of not being able to button off. Like, yeah. You, know, you think yeah. you'll do it for a few years and then... It should. Yeah. And then it'll be there. We keep, yeah. yeah, we keep... <coughs> it's sort of the same old story. You keep saying to yourself, you're saying, well, this is what I should be doing and I'm yeah. putting X amount on and in a couple of years it'll turn around and it, all that money I've put in will actually turn into something in the stock or I'll get... You know, my cars will get bigger and, and it will reverse itself and I'll actually build into something. But the problem is, is we keep spending money and everything else just keeps staying where it was. Mm. And we keep going, this is not... The, the you know it, it wasn't balancing out we things got weren't a few doing games, but, but not, not to not to balance out what it actually mm. needed to do and it could sort of yeah it does get tricky when you're putting that it's not like we had excess capital cash or something that we could just buffer it up forever like it was it got to a point where we were seriously putting on more than we could actually get out of it and there wasn't enough money to go around to mm. actually mean that we could keep going the way we were going so mm. so you're getting these epic results on a production level, but the profitability just wasn't matching. Yeah, it wasn't getting there. We were spending too much yeah. to, on the production. Like that's what everyone said, but no one would give me a different way to do it. I guess, a... like, yeah, button off your stuff, but then, you know, I want performance. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you got, where, where do you draw the line? Yeah, the and it's, that, I struggled with that for a long time. Yeah. Um, How long would you have struggled with that for? And what was the? You've been pumping these high production crops and getting great results finances aren't matching that you don't have any other options talk us through what went from there well i bumped into a girl and when i was at a competition we got asked to do a competition melbourne farm of the year um and um an old school friend of laura's um bumped into her and she worked for soil matters um, and she just just wanted to know everything about us, so to speak. And um, pretty much just from there, we invited her on um, to have a look around and be curious about it. And then, um, like, and that kind of sparked our interest in going to the soil health side of things. Um, and I thought I was, you know, I wasn't wrecking the soil, but it turned out I was. But yeah, and that's kind of what sparked our journey into this, the way we're farming now is. Yeah. Actually, if that probably wasn't for that competition, we probably would have never... Probably never would have been where we are today. Where we are today. And so I think that, it yeah. sort of gave you that, that little bit more drive. Like, you've always been the sort of person that if you want an answer, you'll look for it, or if someone tells you something, you'll find a different way to do it, or you'll always look for that little bit more information that someone's not telling you. And so as soon as one new little avenue or world sort of got opened up to you, you were like, right, why am I... Why do I not know about this? Mm. Or why am I not more intrigued about this? And so 
being able to talk to her and work with that company sort of opened up a whole nother ball game for a whole different way. And like we've said it, we said it in the truck coming down. Like Mark went to uni for four years and learned a conventional way of dairy farming. And going to uni is great, don't get me wrong. But we worked for five years in a conventional how uni told him how to farm. And then since then, we don't farm like uni taught him how to farm. We farm in a whole different way. Like uni taught him how to learn. And then he's learnt to find the rest of the practices by his intrigue or the chance to lock that wee bit further for something. And I suppose the chance meeting at that competition was sort of the, when the students really, the teacher reveals themselves <laughs> sort of situation. Mm-hmm. That, um, no, definitely. Yeah. And um, yeah. If you've had that training from university days, once you do start learning you know where to look, know how to look for stuff and how to mm. investigate. Yeah. Mm. And and you talk about soil health, how it was the new concept and you you know, been through university, I mean what was the difference in your perspective of what soil is from then to what's your perspective on soil now and what's the soil health thing all about? Like for me, the soil now is I do not wanna destroy it. Like it's like everything we well, everything in the last year at least is trying to minimise the damage and that's whether through cultivation, pugging, overgrazing, step stop, whatever, all it is is trying not to, so to speak, destroy it. Um, and and just keep that, yeah, just keep the structure and all that going. Um, and I thought I was doing that, like even cropping, I'll be like, oh, we'll just fix it up with machines. But doing, you know, through that, I had already damaged because I had to fix it because I damaged it up, and that cost money and time as well, and your productivity. But it all just came with the game. Um, and when we met, yeah, when we met there and started having to fix these X crop paddocks and starting to look at structure and just kind kind of just came to me like I two years of well one year of cropping and two years in pasture, and I picked up the ground and. Um, still kind of conventionally grazing it as well it was still the structure wasn't there it was just everything just collapsed there was um, you know slating or yeah slating in the soil it's just you could tell it would have been hammered I was like and no wonder I'm not growing and my roots were like not even an inch like an inch or something and I was complaining about the dry so it's real ironic <laughs> yeah. I was telling her I was like oh, I've got a problem um, but I didn't know how to well at that time, it's like, yeah, we need to get life back into this. Um, so that's how I started seeing it. But also, at the time when she was there, it wasn't about putting phosphorus and all like your MPKS stuff. It was all about, oh, you can, at the start, it was all about, oh, you can apply magnesium and apply this to kind of balance it out. And then the plan was that you'll just, won't have to apply as much or try and not apply it every year. So I like that idea. I, that kind of got into that way um, quite a lot. But we did three years of going that way, but I hadn't changed the management. I hadn't changed. I was still conventionally grazing or how I was still conventionally grazing. Wasn't looking at plant recovery or, you know, set stocking or just they'll be in that paddock for a week and that would be enough. And then they'll be in the next paddock for a week or two weeks. And if it grew more, they'll just stay there. You know, I wasn't consciously moving them all the time. Um, and, or I would have 
multiple mobs moving multiple days like it just got crazy I was like so I was still and that added in its own compaction in that as well but we did spark like diversity in pastures we did try to do stuff like that and that and that what frustrated me too is like the research at the time was saying that for animal performance you only needed three you only need a herb clove and a ryegrass and you'll, you won't have any more, you know, your animal performance was at optimum level. And I just like, I oh, sweet, so I don't need to plant five or six different plants. Why would I do that? Because I've got animal performance, you know, sweet. <laughs> Let's do that. It wasn't until later on, you know, meeting Jono and then realising actually mm-hmm. diversity actually helps the soil um, health. And, and we also struggled to keep pasture, you know, alive, you know, always revert, you know, reverting, say, back, almost back to native. Um, but yeah, that was started frustrating me a little bit, and now I was like, oh well, that's just it is. We're always thinking about the performance of the animal. We're not thinking actually about the performance of the soil or the life in there to make the grass grow or to have everything. You know, water infiltration rate. I only measured it when John came to us to measure infiltration rate, and it wasn't bad. I think at the, I think at the paddock we did was actually not too bad, and I've always kept an eye. On, we've kind of kept an eye on that now. But no one really... wasn't even on our radar. wasn't even on our radar. I never really thought about it. We're just looking at yeah, simple yeah. things like rooting depth yeah, and things like that, yeah, especially when it, Dig a hole. When it counts. It's, mm. uh, yeah. It made, yeah, it made that. And it all yeah. seems, so, you know, like for me, that I'm, I'm not a farmer by trade. I don't understand a lot of things. But so much of it makes sense. You start going out with Mark and you go, oh, yeah, I totally get what you're talking about. And we pull a root up or we pull something yeah. up or... I'll never forget the first day I learned about clover nodules and we were on a farm digging up on someone and we spent about half an hour looking for four teeniest of little nodules and whether they were working on someone's farm. And I was like, right, this is making no sense to me. What the, what's the point of this? (laughs) We came home, went up on the hill and Mark was like, right, I'm going to show you the clover nodule. Pulled up a hole and there's this massive root with all these nodules all over. And I was like, all right, that's what a clover nodule looks like. Like even something simple like that. that, It was a funny day. It was, Mm. yeah. It was like, how do you get, but like, like uh, a magnifying, magnifying glass, glass to find the nodule. Yeah, yeah, right. And I was like, I, I secretly, you know, oh, this is good, you know, being quite polite. <laughs> yes. I said to Rowan, right the hell, I'll show you a clover nodule. <laughs> Pulled out this massive white clover. And I said, see, this is a clover nodule. You don't have to need a magnifying glass. Like, you know, like, 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 like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah. Here's a clover nodule. <laughs> <laughs> you call that a nodule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and that, that equated into dollars eventually. Like, mm. that's, who would have thought? Yeah, it did. Um, that, I think me and Laura, after that, we looked at each other and we said, we're on the right track. We just need to, I guess, yeah, keep heading that way. Um, and it was good for the environment. And we felt we were doing good by the environment, using biological friendly fur. Um, and I, can't, I don't have any research on it on our farm, but um, just an observation. We used to have a lot of algae in our main riverbed. Um, that disappeared. I don't. I haven't seen it for a long time. I haven't seen it for three years. It's ever since I've done that, and I don't. I didn't even put fert. You know, I try to avoid the waterway, and we put it on the hill and that. But it must. There must be stuff going in there, and that. And we still graze that quite intensively. That area, but I have no algae. Like that out the green, you know, the slimy algae. 
we've still got like native like algae and stuff mm. like that, and the rocks. Yeah, we've got crystal clear, clear beautiful waterway way. with like I couldn't tell you what type of fish, but fish and invertebrates and invertebrates, yeah, everything yeah. under the sun. That we're we bad. had an ecologist out there and he lifted up a rock and he's oh he's got this and this and you know like stuff that you don't even know is in the water is there because it's as clean as a whistle and you can't get clean. It wouldn't have been there. Mm. And to observe that change, yeah, without changing, like fundamentally changing the management in terms mm. of like animal density and where you're grazing, mm. to yeah, observe that's that, no that, that's, yeah, that's no that literally accident. There's a paddock, yes. mm. and it was, and I didn't know realize that until like about a year, six months ago. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're not having because in the spring it was real, it was real good, real. Um, you could always see it, and I'd always come up to me. And one spring I was like. It's not there. There's <laughs> no algae here. Like, and I've kept an eye on it. It's, like, it's never returned back. So if that's not something good, then what is? I don't know what is. <laughs> Wait, so um, you're saying we don't need to fetch off the waterways to keep them clean? No, no, no we wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm it's in a, I'm in a <laughs> non-low-slope area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mimicking yeah. nature. That's yeah. a pretty amazing observation anyway to, to, yeah, to see that happening. That's... Mm. So you've started the hole, you've, you've, you've realised there is a hole and you've started to look down at now, well this is, we're at the moment in your life where you've made these discoveries and both of you are sort of on board and you've, you've thought this is how we're going to farm, you've had the Soil Matters guys on, what happens now? I don't know, so yeah. you, you, you talked about you have made changes to your grazing management, mm. talk us through the changes that you've made. Yeah, so the biggest change would be um, pretty much I wanted to go big and just go, if I'm going to change, I'll just do everything. So we well, I went on, I actually started researching this regen ag thing and saw about, you know, high-density grazing or, you know, got into Mitchell Innes, um videos and saw all the other fellas on there and I thought, right, well, this, is how they, this is how they do it. Um, so I thought, right, I've got to get the high density and I've got to get rotating and I've got to get my rotations longer. Um, looked at the hill and thought, oh, how am I going to do that? But um, That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, that was that definitely a challenge and I was up for it. And heaps of people said, oh, you, it, it just can't be done. Um, and I was, we had um, a wee... Well, your regen day, I guess, in Kaikoura, and Hamish Balski was one of the speakers, and his simplified version of on the intensive hill country, because I think we put the question up to him, um, was to just say, or oh, just start rotating. So I thought, okay, that's easy enough. And I thought, I've got too many knobs, so it's going to take a long time. So we decided, I'll go big, I'll just go one mob after set stocking for the lambs, and the cows we put all in. We put the cows in two different mobs, but um, but one mob of cows with all the sheep, and the other big mob of mixed age cows were on their own, and we were, that was going to be our wee trial site on another hill block, quite a large hill block that we actually subdivided off with polywire um, to see how that all went. So we started doing getting our mobs bigger um, and just rotating on the hill, and that worked pretty good. It, you know, I think next year I'll do it better and work it out. Um, and the hill actually taught me more than what I was doing on the flat. Um, the flats we were, and we were coming on the back of a drought too, so we had no covers and it was, that was diabolical. We had other issues with having big mobs and 
not enough food up front and had to shift them all the time. And then we got bloat issues because the covers were too low and we we're trying to build covers and we, yeah, things didn't go quite right. But um, we got through through that and we've probably now teased out some of the issues. Um, yeah, we still lacked, like, we were trying to get performance, but then we had multiple mobs as well. We had a bull mob, and we had 200 bulls in one mob, and it went fantastic for the first, you know, until about December. When everything was going good, we could build feed, the bulls were rushing through, we were, you know, shift them twice a day or once a day, and it was all going well, like, the growth rates were going through the roof. Yeah, this is good. Um, but when it got dry, because we had, well, nearly 200 bulls, we have 200 cows, and we have... Um, heifers and things started I couldn't mob up and that caused I you know I had to logistically keep the bulls away from cows and heifers and it's that yeah, kind of three mobs hard. of cows on the side of a hill behind a solar powered yeah. electric fence yeah. wire it ain't gonna end well mm. but so that kind of got pretty stressful <laughs> kind of yeah kind of little bit had to, we had to change our system so which, which we've now the bulls are going out of the picture because we think um Breeding our breeding cows and uh, just keeping our own steers, we'll just we'll do that because we can run them as one mob if we have to, um, and we will. We're actually running them now as one big mob. And it'd be for um, box up. It's not the end of the world. Mm, but yeah, it's a nuisance, but it's not, not catastrophic. Yeah. You're not going to get Frisian bulls over here every cows or something mm-hmm. like that. So that was a big change. But I guess the learning from right, like on the hill, it was like quite a few. I had quite a lot of paddocks. And I thought if I could graze them, shift them every three days, I'd have a 55-day rotation. And I thought that would be pretty cool. And I wouldn't worry about grazing it perfect or worry about grazing everything because it's just probably impractical to do that. But, you know, I worked it all out. Um, some paddocks got a bit longer, like four or five days, and other paddocks were two days because it's relative to size. But an average three-day thing. I thought, oh, that sounds pretty simple. So we did started doing that. Um, with the ewes and lambs, I think it was about after tailing, I think we bo- started think boxing we up at tailing. tailing. And after tailing, we just started rotating. And we grew a massive amount of feed in front of us. And that really went well. Um, we got to weaning, because um, we knew we were going. We had feed in front of us. We, just, we actually deferred grazed a few blocks um, as we were doing that. Some of them were parked, like they weren't grazed that heavy because I had to go somewhere, so I had to shift them today, so I didn't graze out. So I thought, I'll bugger it, I'll just let it grow, go nuts, um, and we'll just graze that later. Um, but that extent of that rotation, that 55 days, sometimes they actually got up to 60 days, um, in the dry, the amount of, I think I was, I'll come back a bit, when I was observing it, at 45 days, all the clover on the hill was set seed, was properly set in seed after 45 days in that January, February part. I was thinking, hmm, so I can't go shorter than 45 days because now the clover is perfectly set and it's still, you know, white and red clover is all green. I was like, this is going quite good. I've just re-sowed my whole pet, the whole farm in clover. That's a great start. So that phenomenon made to come back on the flats because the flats weren't doing that because I was always going around 30 days. Ah, of course. And I just, that was just a brainwave moment. It's like, oh, my flats need to go out further. I need to go up to 45 days and the grass... Who cares about the grass so much? But we could probably lift that cover up a bit more, plus get more nitrogen in the soil because that's my ultimate goal, to get more legumes and stuff like that and keep it going. Um, 
And then the, coming into the autumn, when we did get some rains, those long rotations meant that when the grass actually, we had to go into the grass go to seed, when the grass restruck, all of a sudden, by the time I got there at 45 days or 60 days, that little sprout of grass had enough root depth and enough structure to handle the pressure on my massive mob going in there one day, smack all the grass down, walk off, and I went back, I marked the wee spot where I'd seen all this new breaching grass, and it was, wasn't even 1100 cover, I was like, on, the, on these little reseeding parts, and I thought, oh, I'm going to damage this. Went along, talking about those little grass seedlings hadn't even been eaten, hadn't even been touched, they didn't care, they ate all the grass that was ready to be grazed, and they didn't touch that, they just a little bit smacked in the ground, done dust that I hadn't used, and cows all in that big mob, and I thought, and I came back, and this new stuff was coming back up. I said, well, I figured out how to regrass my paddocks now. <laughs> what, you know, what, that's probably the reason why we're always running out of grass is we're always nailing it to stop it from going to seed. Grazing it, you know, we want to be on 21 day or 30 day or something rotations on these flat high performance farms. But we're not just giving the pastures a chance to recover. And that was, that was just saying that. I'm like, I'm not even losing quality. I'm just, just growing grass. And that just, yeah, got me into this quite, even more. I was like, mm. shit. Quite odd that it's mm. like you figured that out on the hill because usually, usually the regulations the happen on the flat where mm. you can control stuff mm. more and try that mm. under more control, but then yeah, to have it the other way, flip the other way around. That, yeah. yeah. I think it almost needs to be said too, like the way our farm is set up, like 10% of our farm is flat. But that's probably why it's gone that way because most people... They'd have a decent percentage of flat, which was really high-performing, and everything. 10% of our farm is high-performing flats. So that's it. So we've got a lot more hill country. That is where a lot more of our emphasis and our input goes into is because we've got to try and get that going, and so all your energy goes into what can you do with that rather than the other way around. So that's probably why it was so... It was almost staring you in the face that that response could come off the hill because that's where you're more interested in, you're going, what am I doing with this hill country? What can I make this? How can I do, yeah, how can I do something more with this? And we all, and we all know clover grows lambs and animals. And that's just started our, um, our diversity in those hill country pastures. And we're not throwing out seed out there. We're not even doing that. We've only we've done it a couple of times, but um, we can just see that it's already there. We just need to manage it. Um, mm. And that's and one of the part of that managing was we did put infrastructure in place before we started doing these rotations. We had water because that was one of our fundamental things. We need to get water to these cows uphill, up the height, because the springs were kind of there, but you know it's just muddy water. So that's that's helped a lot. Yeah, about um, about four years ago we started mm. talking about putting water and piping. Like we've got springs up high, eight nine hundred meters up high of springs, and we've piped them and run. Alcafine across all by hand. K's of K's of hill and put troughs and tanks and and we wouldn't have done what we've done now on the hill country if we hadn't already done that. And it was a big it was a big expense and it was a big cost, but man, we were we were lucky that oh not lucky, we were we were grateful that we made that conscious decision to go, we've got to do this, we've got to get water because we had four hundred hectare blocks with a creek at the bottom of the hill and that's about it. And yeah. occasionally they'd have a dam halfway up and it might have water in it for half the year and the rest of the year it would have nothing and so we're like there's something's wrong with this equation in the first place so and we noticed that like as soon as you put the water in they'd graze the paddock better or they'd 
go up somewhere that you wouldn't have to or you wouldn't have to force them you know how many times a week would we go down and go oh the cows are at the bottom again let's hunt them up again and thanks very much we went for months and they'd be at the top you'd never see them down the bottom and so we yeah we wouldn't have done what we've done on the hill country unless we'd actually consciously made mm. that effort to do as much infrastructure as we had years ago and then now we're just now that I can rotate them in those water systems that's even better you're not causing overgrazing in those areas <laughs> yeah um and that was the one, yeah. But there's also, like, these little pockets of our, like, because I'm quite curious, and I fenced off a little area of a solar, because I put a solar unit up, and I fenced off this little square area, and there's actually a radio tower that's done the same thing. And, you know, there's the old, you know, old saying you can't, you know, how can you bring back your own diversity or bring back palatable pastures and stuff? And it must be in our own management, because... I fenced off these areas, never seen really much coxfit or any decent grasses I would have thought on the hills, just brown top. Fenced off these, the next minute we've got yarrow and we've got coxfit and red clover and, you know, tall as hell and think to myself, I didn't realise this was here. This is on the top, on of, the top of the hill, may I like, say, at like 900, 1,000 metres above sea level, no sitting there going, there's a nice diverse mix that we haven't planted and it's just turned up. It's and just and that's just, quite we, we just literally fenced that off just because we need it for a site and we need to get stock out of that area. And we're like, oh, well, <laughs> it can be done then. We've already got it. We just need to manage it for it. Um, and stop over, yeah, overgrazing is the worst. Like, definitely can, that's why we've got brown top. Is That's the only species that can survive in that intent. Like, and then I'm seeing brown top, like, because I used to see like nice, I say coxfoot, but it's probably like sweet vernal with other thicker leaf, like thicker leaf pastures that the cows actually target and the sheep target too. Um, but used to see them on the side of the hill where they would never graze, but where the campsites were and all that was just brown top and decked to the bone. And that, you know, even if you had 40 cows there, they would be decked. If you had 20 cows there, it would be decked. When we started doing these rotations, those campsites actually took off, but then the coxfits in them. There was like this one coxfoot plant that was probably, you know, trying to get to the uh, listeners here, where it was almost standing at like 3,000 dry matter you would, and the height, like nearly a foot, maybe just under a foot. With the brown top, you know, you know, probably, I would say 1,200, 1,500 cover. And I was saying to myself, that coxfoot plant's doing bloody good. So, you know, same grazing time and it's just tucking off. Um, and I thought, that's what I want the whole the whole farm to come, you know, start having more of that. Um, and that, that coxfoot plant, and that had a, that had, did have a rest of about 45 days, and that actual coxfoot plant wasn't quite ready to graze, and we hadn't, we hadn't grazed it yet. But it was, but the brown top could have been grazed, like you would say that, but whether that will come right eventually, if I did graze that coxfoot plant, I would, would have just started to go better as well, and just start bringing more of those. And Yeah, so it's just, those observations are key, and I mm. I think even I took a photo of a um, red clover on this rugged country, and I, because I don't hadn't sex stopped this block for a while, there was just one red clover about thirty centimeters long with a little flower flapping in the <laughs> wind. Everything around it was looked like dead to me, like brown, and was not doing that well. And I thought that, that little red clover is doing a good job, and it's only there because I haven't had a sheep in this paddock and I haven't had stock in this paddock for fifty odd days. Um, everything else, you know, so that's going to set seed and do more, you know, need more of that variety in that certain type of year. I think it was, that was January or something, end of January that was happening, and I thought, okay, so we've just got to get, you know, 
our management's just not quite right for that. It'd be interesting like, as you track it forward, if that's just like one cycle, for instance, mm. once you start repetitively doing that and mm. put your water in place and away you go. So your brown top, like you're saying, it's, mm. it's kind of like an outcome from like years and years and mm. years of that system that you had before the water was there. Mm. How do you guys work as a team around the farm? Because um, I know you're not there all the time, Laura. You work off farm, so talk to us a wee bit about how that dynamic works. It's just you guys there, I think. So tell us about, about what you do, because I know you're nice and handy to Kai Cora. So. Mm. Um, yeah, so we sort of got ourselves a pretty perfect opportunity. Um, once I finished uni and decided to come back up to the farm full-time, I worked full-time with Mark for about a year on the farm together, and it had its challenges as any relationship can when you're working 24-7 together it can um sort of go a wee bit pear shape at, at times but it must have been quite a, a bit of a challenge because you're just fresh off your OE as yeah, well so yeah it was pretty quite tricky a bit changing time, but. yes it was really and I mean it was great but and it, at that time in my life it was the perfect like I needed that chance to be there and it served a really great purpose but it also was starting to reach a point that we were finding different ways that I could do things and it was about that time I started doing bobby calves and that's when we got into the bulls because I needed something that was my baby that I could carry through and that was pretty much where that stemmed from and then um, I got a phone call one day from a local firm in Kaikoura, an architectural firm, saying um, did I want a job and I sort of said oh well I hadn't really thought about it but I would quite like one and um, it would be a good thing to put my five years of uni degree towards something <laughs> that might actually pay me for it so uh, I said yes and um, off I trotted and now as whenever the farm sort of allows it um, winter time more often I work about three or four times a week in town and in the summer and the spring I've got probably the best boss in the world that'll say if I'm busy he'll say oh well, I'll see you next week and um, it just sort of works in so yeah I travel in to town when I can and I have an office at home as well so we sort of get pretty lucky I can work the two together and um, yeah, so it keeps me out of trouble and keep, well, keeps us both out of trouble really and it mm. never hurts to have a little bit of extra something to keep do it, too. Keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah. Something different. No. Definitely help the relationship because the arguments, we got to a point that it was just arguing every day because she wanted to change something on the farm and I said no because it's, you know, wasn't going to work or something and, the, and we're quite stressed so it's just always... Mm. You know, always talking to the same person, just always, yeah, started getting aggravated or getting annoyed. And then, yeah, just, I guess, I started working with other people. If Laura couldn't make it, we actually ended up having casuals. And I started working with other dynamics as well. So it worked. It has worked out for the greater, mm. better now. And it is great. Like, it's completely different. Like, working as an architect, I can go in and I can draw some pretty amazing things and do something completely different. And it's almost like... Each way I go, it's a holiday from my other job. So, like, you go to work to have a holiday from the farm and you come home to have a holiday from the computer. And it's pretty lucky. Like, I could never I could never be an office person five days a week. It would do my head in. And I could clearly struggle to be working with Mark seven days in, seven days out. So, between the two, we're pretty lucky, really, that it's worked the way it has. And so I, yeah, I do that part-time. And I also do um, the odd... I've got a postgraduate landscape as well. So I do the odd landscape plan... Whenever the extra time fits in, which isn't very often, but um, when we can fit those in too, we make that that work. So um, definitely keeps us out of trouble. And what about on you know like a 
high level management slash farm governance role. You know, clearly we've got the ideas man over here, and he's curious and he's he's he picks something up and runs with it. How's the dynamic there between the go and the and the woes, so to speak? So there's definitely a woe aspect to our relationship. Mark's a guns blazing. I like an idea and I'm going to do it, and I'm a a lot more. Um, I want to understand something before I dive in the deep end, and so I it it does work well. Like it suits us well because I sit Mark down and I say, right, like I want to know what's going on in your brain and why you're making this decision because. I've got as much of a part or say in this as you do, and if I don't understand it, then I'm going to say no. Mm. And sometimes I can guarantee it drives my up the wall because he just wants to, he's like, no, it's a brilliant idea. And, and so it's, I've read this and it, and, it, and it tells me it's going to be exactly what it needs to be. And I'm like, if I don't understand it, or if I, there's, a, there's an aspect to it that I'm like, no, 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 that's not going to fit in our system or the most common one is, yeah, that's a great idea, love, but where's the time going to come for that? Or how, who's going to do that? Or what day of the week are you planning on fitting that into to make it happen? So we have a very interesting relationship where it is a massive balancing act to whoever gets their way and what day or depending on what way the wind's blowing will be who. It's got to be pretty good to have like that balance. Though. Like balance is obviously the key word yeah. with mm. a lot of... Yeah, I a call lot of farm it, systems. I call it we have heated discussions and then if it doesn't go well, sometimes I just leave a bit like rah rah. But then you once like I try and see Laura's point, I'm like I go out the farm, go out, go to a good point and walk walk around, figure out like, oh okay, if I need to do this, Laura's got made some good points. Okay, maybe I need to somehow make this work where both of us can contribute or yeah, maybe not do it as where I want to do it or something like that like in terms of time constraint that's the hardest thing mm-hmm. like and I think one thing I've told Laura I was like I want to move my stock five times a day or she's like you don't even have time to move them twice you know like you're struggling to do that and because I want to do fencing and all these other things so I just compromised and said well I can't do that at half a million you know density was was the goal okay I might have to move once a day or twice a day because that I could probably do that at a hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand, just just the way it went. So, and then seeing how that evolved, um, that was just one example of that. So, sort of working out ways to rather than either or, it's sort of mm. how do we get both? Yeah, how do we yeah. make you get it work? the benefit of the idea, but yeah, to not to make me over, feel com- yeah, confident in my mm. yeah. I've got I've got to have a little bit of confidence in the decision that we're making because. Mm. We have, as anyone does, we've made mistakes and it makes me nervous to think that, you know, we can throw money left, right and centre at something, but it's got to all turn full circle. And so I've stopped. And in the first few years, I was kind of like, right, if that's if that's the way we've got to do it, then okay, I trust you, I believe you, and that's what we're going to do. And okay. And now I'm a bit more like, I'm starting to understand a lot more of this process and how Mark's brain works. Um, it's taken me a while but as soon as you sort of get that aspect of understanding and then I'm kind of like hang on a minute if we can make a system work or que- not it's almost like questioning it but ne- I'm never saying no it's always just a how are we going to make it work and yeah it's probably just really just good robust governance isn't it but, <laughs> yeah I think it kick, helps kick, I don't know yeah, kick, the, <laughs> kick the idea um, it, pretty it, thoroughly and... it keeps you like if it's something to do with spending some money, um, it makes me innovate. Because then I'm like, 
oh, hang on, I don't have exposed income, like Laura was saying, like, say sometimes, like, you can't just do that. <laughs> so come away, come away with it, think about it, how am I going to do this another way? Like, and I've got to, got to think innovative, I've got to, you know, try and scrap around the farm, try and find what I can do. And that just, I guess that sparks another thing as well. And then, yeah, it just goes on from there. <laughs> <laughs> then it goes too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Laura, I mean, what what's your sort of thoughts on the way the farm's going? I know it's you said it was easy to go for it when it was like the status quo or as what everyone else was saying you should do. I get that that's so much easier to be like, right, let's go. And then all of a sudden you guys start hanging out with, was it Amy Duckworth in mm. Salt Matters? Amy? Mm. Yeah. Um, and then started learning from her and then Mark goes guns blazing, starts looking, discovering... Did you have any discoveries yourself? Were you sort of observing anything on farm? And can you tell us a bit about some of your observations? Yeah, massive. So I've only ever known the conventional way of farming. And Mark's the researcher in this. Like, he'll read paper after paper. And I get the debrief from Mark and get half a conversation. I go, oh, yeah, kind of follow that. And I, it's been massive for me learning this whole another way. And because so much of what I've done is physically watching and looking and seeing things and for me it was very hard especially like this year with the winter because traditionally we've had masses of food in front of us and for me I'm like yeah okay the stock might not have grown very well but there was food there and they had something to eat and I could physically see it with my eyes and then when Mark comes up with this plan that he's no longer going to drill a crop and he's going to a monocrop and he's going to drill a diverse crop and we're going to have a whole different way of wintering our finishing cattle and lambs and I'm going ha 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 hang on a minute I don't I don't like this this is not how I've been told farming should work this is not okay and I can't see this growing and it hasn't grown the way it's supposed to and there's nothing for the cows to eat and there's nothing for the sheep to eat and no 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 I'm not happy in this situation and we had a number of conversations that went around this that I physically couldn't understand where Mark was coming from because Mark's such a big picture man at the end of the day that it's just Everything makes sense in his head, and it wasn't making sense in my head. And it's taken eight months from when we probably started hitting it. We're sort of in trouble for the winter to we're through here now, and I'm like, I can see what he's talking about. And it's been such a massive learning curve to physically see it happening in front of my eyes and to see everything he's been telling me was going to happen has happened, but it's taken it, it has taken a long time. And I guess that just comes down to the different way in which I learn things too. Like I'm not a, I'm not a read a paper and learn something and have someone else tell me. I'm a visual, physical. Like I need to do it with my hands or I need to see it in front of me to make it, to make it happen. And so that yeah, that's been massive, um, physically seeing yeah. it. But. And so you guys really have just been charging for a year. Yeah, pretty much. Like since yeah, the whole made... the whole approach to this regen type or called natural farming. Mm. That's a way better term, because yeah, because that's where we're on a journey for three years, looking at it's all health only, not changing any management, sort of like animal management, and now we've kind of gone, yeah, took all the principles and just applied them. Well, it's kind of like not like one year of doing the system. It's like the all your ideas converging of what you've been doing. Mm. It's not like you just like year one. Clean slate where you go. It's kind mm. of like a convergence of mm. Uh, mm. all the learnings up to date and plugging mm. all those best bits mm. and, and applying. Yeah, yeah, applying it full throttle, so to yeah. speak. 
And where does the, you talked about sort of your, you know, learned all these tools and, and mentioned regenerable natural agriculture. Um, I'd imagine up there where you are, there's not a whole lot of people doing the sort of farming you were doing. So what's been the catalyst for your learning? I, I know you talked about meeting Amy. Has, has it been discussion groups or anything like that? Um, not, oh, yeah. It's more probably been self taught and um, meetings with yeah just like meeting Amy with just that thing and then I actually had a conversation with a friend of ours um, Sky Horton on the phone and I missed out going to um, uh, at Lincoln a regenerative just conference or something and I couldn't go because we were already we were going somewhere else and we couldn't take another week off or it was just in the middle of just not quite good time and she went, and then she came back, and we were discussing, um, we are actually discussing high-density grazing, and I was still, I was challenging this idea, and saying, no, it's just rotational grazing, everyone's doing that. But, yeah, all, all, so, all of New Zealand's doing that already. All of New Zealand's doing that. Very. And, um, and she couldn't quite explain it, but I was like, hang on. got to be more to this. I wonder... If I find out what this is, and if someone challenges me, I've got to be able to answer it because I want to know the both sides of the story, and that's what sparked me into starting YouTubing and started getting more, um, yeah, I guess like just more curious and more curious. And I found a few um, YouTube clips, and I thought, okay, well, I'll Google these guys' names, and then all the stuff came up, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. Then I started looking at papers and trying to figure out what this is all about, and and I was just like. This is, I can understand their principles. This is going to work. This is actually something that is, makes really good sense. And that's what really just started sparking it. And I, just, I spent hours on YouTube. I actually had a rolled ankle during the winter. Oh, yeah. Um, and I actually really <laughs> buggered it up. And I was, on, I was on the couch for a few days. And I was on a smart TV just on YouTube with my remote down some rabbit holes <laughs> and just went gold eight. and so that kind of sparked it and then um, yeah and then even like um, when I was doing all that YouTubing and searching on Facebook Jono Fru's name came up on his net he must have just started on natural performance and I was like I've met this dude <laughs> um, and I had his card and I was talking to Laura and Laura's like oh you know, you've got to do something because you're, you're not really getting any advice. And so I, I just thought, I've met this guy once. Fluke by a field day at the Kirwee field days. I'll just give him a, uh, I think I emailed. I think I just emailed him explaining yeah, that I've met him once at a field day, rah, rah, about a year ago, or now two years ago. And um, just wanted to chat or something. And then that's how me and Jono got onto it. And then he came up and just kind of started the story. You were at... Um... I won't name it, but a large seed company's <laughs> tent. Yeah, definitely. And I was walking around with no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> talking to people. Yeah. And I could hear you were being, like, hard-sold. And I, and I thought, I'm just... And I could see you were, like... You were really curious at listening, but you were hesitant about the, what was being <laughs> mm. said. Mm. And I just... I picked you guys up from a mile away, and I was like... And I wasn't interested in being there to, you know, push myself or anything. I was mm. just there to talk to people. And, and um, yeah, that's right. I just clicked then. That was when it was. Mm. Yeah, no. It was, you were um, thinking, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think now that back then, like, 
Johnny's developed himself quite well. Like mm. I think he came on quite hot to us as well. Look, we felt that quite hot. I remember that. Oh dear. And he gave me a card. And, and I was like challenging. I was almost going to go right into John and go, I'll challenge you, you little shit. But, <laughs> you did. But, um, <laughs> but, um, oh but yeah, but that kind of just, that's all good. Good sparking, good conversation and that. But then after, you know, I sat back, you know, and when he came up again, I'm like, oh, maybe this guy is, you know, I want to know what he's thinking. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we actually emailed someone else too, and they got back to us, but we just kind of went with Jono. Um, but yeah, that was quite cool. Um, and learning, and and then, yeah, Jono was like telling us, I think on our first 30 minute conversation, he was saying that we could do all this with no fur. I'm like, no. Right. Come on. But then. Then when he did, when he said that, I was like, right, I'll better look into this. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, it actually doesn't, you know, the reason why we put food on, because we're looking at available nutrients. I need to get those nutrients available. Why do we keep putting it on? I want to know how much is in that soil. And that's what sparked us, you know, going deeper into the soil for what's actually there, what needs to be changed, or, and many, and then I thought, I'm not going to put any um, sort of fur for this one year or for many years. Um, and I'll just monitor the changes, but also change our management to change the way the um, availability comes. Um, and, yeah, and that's how I'm going to approach it. I think that's where a lot of people come unstuck, isn't it? They think they can just, oh, yeah, no, no, I've heard about stopping fertiliser thing. Mm. And, and that's all they do. They stop. And go, <laughs> and then do, just keep doing everything else mm. exactly the same. Then go, well, there you go. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> bloody work. Yeah, no, it's and, definitely, yeah. you have, to, yeah, you've got to figure out you know, well, not finger, it's not that hard, as you've got to have a live soil, you've got to have the biology in there, you've got to have the fungi coming back, you've just got to get it recycling. Mm. You've got, um, got to earn the right. Yeah. yeah, and then you don't have to, so to speak, apply it. Um, and a lot of questions, you know, people have said, oh, you're, you're removing a lot of phosphorus and nutrients off your soil, and I, I've got, these two arguments that I've, I play out to them, one that pretty much all plants are about 95% carbon, well, 95% Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and what's the fourth one? Nitrogen. <laughs> and that's 95% of your plants made up of that. And that's all free. We get it all for free. So, and our cows recycle, well, our ruminants recycle like 80% if it, like back to the soil. Yep. So 80%, so we've got 5% that's technically, so to speak, removable. And, is, and that 80% of that 5% gets recycled. And that's how I'm just thinking about it now. So I'm only removing 1% of my nutrients off my whole farm, if that's true. Um, and if that was true, I've got enough, well, I just did it on phosphorus. I've got enough phosphorus for a 1,000 years. Mm. Okay, well, if I have to replace it in a 1,000 times, I'll find it where I've stored it somewhere else. But, And that's only in the top 15 centimetres. I've got metres of soil to try and get roots to, or fungi or something to get down there to bring it up. So, that and then I haven't even measured down thirty centimeters or a meter, but I would just say it's just, it's just endless. Like, well, it's not endless, but it's a long time. It's not five or ten years yes. that you're going to run out. Yes. Um, and coming from, and I've measured that on hill country that's never had fur, and it's still actually the same. That's the funny thing, but it might be because the stocking rate hasn't removed as much. They'll argue, but I've got the same sink almost in, on my hill that hasn't had any fertilizer. I guess forever, 
versus on the flat, I've still got the same um, available, like not available, the locked up P in the soil. Still the same, pretty much the same amount. It's mm. legible. It's like. I suppose over that quantity, it's going to take quite a mess of, you know, comparing those two blocks. It's going to take a long time to hack into the reserve. Mm. Oh, yeah. The only, the only difference between the hill country is the available, like if you look at like the Olsen P, so to speak, that we don't really look at anymore. Yeah, one, the flats is like 20, and on the hill it was, I think, it was well, one part was 8 and the other one was 15, which I thought was really awesome. But that was the difference. But the actual locked up P was the same. Well, very similar. Not the same. Very similar. Um, so I was just like, okay, well, we've got 700 to 1,000 kgs of phosphorus in the top 15 centimetres. I've got a lot of, got a lot of phosphorus. And, yeah, and, then, and sulfur and all that, is, there's enough there. You've just got to get it. And it's locked up. But, and that's how it's going. Yeah. And you've got to need biology to do it. And diversity of, you know, your plants and stuff. I think oh, the big thing with that too, like you're already measuring fats, so you know where your baseline is. So mm. it's not crazy to be monitoring as you go. And if you do need to chuck something in mm. that mm. you're obviously now haven't quite nailed yet, then mm. there's not a lot of downside to that, is there? So it's no, a, it's an informed yeah. decision. Yeah, yes, yeah, rather mm. than just yeah, willful, willful ignorance. Yeah, yeah. doing yeah. what you're told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah we're definitely monitoring. And that's, one of the biggest keys, even part of our discuss, local discussion group, because I'm the only one really doing it like that. Um, yeah, it's, they that was their big concern, and it's like, well, if it all goes pear shaped in five years, you what's stopping me from going? You know, not say going back, but kind of adding nutrients back in, going doing it um, the other way. Mm. Um, mm. What's there's no risk. There's not that much risk. Yes. Like you're not gonna. You know, lose all your fertility in your farm in one year or two years. It just, just don't do that. Like most sheep beef farmers don't even put fertilizer on the hill every second year. So why don't you do that on your flats and see what happens? Or have third year and say, oh, I haven't had anything on this year. Why not see what happens next year or the year after? But yet I would say you do have to change your management mm. as well. It's not a simple. Definitely. Like you said, it's not take one thing out and expect the whole situation to change. But like the way we're doing it is perfect because we can make an informed decision and we mm. can see what's happening and actually judge it and mm. make a plan. Like I think that was why the whole concept for me, not knowing a lot of information about it, but it made a lot of sense because essentially what have we got to lose in doing it? There's only one way we're going to find out whether it works for us or in our situation or on our hill mm. country. We can try it and if it doesn't work, well, at least we know. To the best of our ability, put every effort into making it work, and so far we're seeing the results. So, essentially, we're on the journey we want it to be, and it'll, it might get tweaked along the way, and a few things might change. But as long as we are watching what's happening and making observations and testing and doing what we have to do, then we we can't really go wrong as far as anything goes. Like the and questioning, like you said as well, or questioning, like all the time questioning what you're doing, like. Mm. You know, we know that nature's not stagnant, it's dynamic, it's always changing and if we get set on something being the way and nature, mm. you know, develops and mm. does what she does, well, we've got to change too. And it's not like I went, like, no fur, like, we did go, I guess, one of the biggest things is we had soil matters, um, like, biological-friendly fur, so to speak, so the soil was kind of already working for us, like, starting to work and wake up. So we went no fat, but I did go no nitrogen 
um, in the year two of working with Saw Matters. And that was just solid because on the big crops, we started using less and less nitrogen. And then one year, I even didn't even put any nitrogen on a fodder beet crop. Like I'm used to putting 200, 400 kgs of, in, oh, not in, of urea, so probably 200 kgs of in, mm. and growing 25 tonne crops and whatever. And one year, I put less on, and then I put UAN, um, uh, pneumonium nitrate, whatever it is, um, on it. And that worked out, it's only six units of in on that whole crop, and it grew really well. I thought, oh yeah, I wonder if I just take put no in on. Just do normal fert recommend, but no end. And it, well, it's I think we lost a ton. I was like, oh, well, that's, not, that's not bugger all. That might be in the season. And I thought, this is this is good. Um, and then I just thought, well, I need legumes, so I'll just use them to fix my nitrogen. Um, and the, yeah, in this short of the spring, when I would kind of like want to put strategic nitrogen on, um, you did kind of miss that, but we grew up. Like in a lab, like later, we just grew the clover just took off later, and um, and that's why I thought, well, that would be better. Um, and just took out because nitrogen for us to get and get it on the right timing was just annoying. You never got it right, and you're wasting. I felt like more wasting money, so just to get it out of the system, that was the first thing to scratch, and then. I've just scratched everything else. Um, <laughs> just just on the way. Just, just go down the list. You know, no, 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 no. But it's yeah, a it's, scratch there. <laughs> but I did like unconventional things. I never put fur down a spout. I never. I didn't even like when I went out of a crop. I would just work it and drill it, and that grass probably didn't even get any fur. Sometimes till January because I couldn't get the truck <coughs> up or something, and it's just so that grass is probably started off doing its own life force anyway so a lot of that stuff was already happening um yeah so and then we thought right we need to get into this diversity of crops get through winter and yeah get everything humming and then i could see how the relationships could work with that um and we had yeah a pretty cool crop this year and a classic um I really got to see, and a neighbour also further down the road from us did, did a diversity winter crop as well, and he's seen the same exact same results as what we did, and he did pretty much the same trial, almost the same trial, I did a trial by accident, but um, we had, we, the crop went all to seed, and a lot of the, I put it on the Quorum Sense WhatsApp thing, and it was all dire, like it was pretty, I probably grazed it way too late, anyway we grazed it, and we nailed it, and had to feed it a bit of protein, because the stock weren't doing that great, so I was feeding a bit of baleage out, and I found these protein block bleak, um, Olsen P50K blocks that I fed out just to try and get something better to them. Um, but we grazed away, and, and I also, as we grazed one of those paddocks, it was quite a stony paddock, and we had a, a crop paddock there, we just wanted to drill an autumn crop, and we had another diverse mix um, as well from Jono from Symbiosis, and we pretty much grazed and drilled at the same time. So I had, and I back fenced that grazing. We had 10 mil of rain, which was, you know, great. 10 mil of rain. The crop that restruck from, uh, that we've already seeded and grazed, came up, like, was just stunning. And the other paddock that I'm trying to be region grazing, but only really for one year, and it was just loosened for five years before that, um, it didn't strike. It didn't even barely came up. So that just sparked it into me, I was like, I've oh, had 10 mil of rain, and I've never, you know, we've always needed 30 mil to strike everything up, we'll come back to life. Well, this pack's just booming. 
and and we had another eight mil and this pack took off it was like at like 1500 cover or something yeah, and the other part was still just dangling and i was like holy hell we've got some infiltration right here and then i went looking and the moisture under that trash was always there even on a third degree day it was always wet it was always there damp keeping the seedlings alive and keeping and i just dug off started digging holes and i was like there's water in here there's and my other ground's dry. It's already run off. It's already buggered. So um, it was after your winter grazing that... That was in the autumn. That, the trash mm. was after you, you've smashed that smashed stuff down. down yeah. And then what you were seeing was plants... Because we let it go to seed. Yeah. We're just restriking. So, yeah. Yep. Having another yeah, coming up. Um, and that paddock actually ended up outdoing all the autumn crops. We actually grazed that first. It was just... Well, I just couldn't believe it. It was just... This is crazy. Bit of a, bit of a bonus it was mm. just an accident. Mm. Yeah, 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 a real bonus like the seed here coming again. It's like yeah. yeah, and the um yeah. So the neighbour down the road, he had he, I don't know if he went let it go to seed, but he grazed his, had all the trash down, and then drilled it, drilled into new pasture into I think a permanent pasture. I'm not sure what the mix was, and he drilled a paddock right next to it as well. Same day, drilled them both. The paddock that he had in the diversity crop, or the cover crop came up far quicker and was well ahead like it was like weeks ahead and just went and he just said it must his comment was it must have just fluffed up the soil and kept the water in there and that was his he was you know up and arming about whether he should do this cover cropping thing again because he's like oh i didn't really do much that great and all that but when he saw that he's like well i've done something good here so they're probably gonna. Um, he said he's gonna most likely carry on with that, doing stuff like that. So it's a good result. Yeah. So you, you are there are like, what I was gonna ask you next was you know what's the community response been like? And there's obviously one person that you can, you know, resonate with. But like in general, when you, you know you're at your discussion group days and and just community response in general, how's that been? <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're all real curious. They, um, yeah, they do, they do like to see what I'm up to because I've always been out, out of the box type of person. Um, and they give you a pat on the back and, and all that, and they do question what we're doing. Um, yeah, I don't think they're against it. They're just sitting there watching. Um, they're not tempted to do it themselves, I don't think, as of yet. I'll um, let you figure it all out first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they're yeah. going to let Mark be the guinea pig once again. Yeah. And then they'll be like, in a few years, they'll be like, oh yeah, I can see what he's talking but about. But I, I always find that I always lag behind. Mm. Like, and then I find, you know, we can shoot ahead and then find all the kinks and then go. Where, yeah, and that's what's hard, struggling, because I have struggles. There's no, and like, other than just the guy down the road, but there's no other people you can really talk to in your own environment mm. so I'm just you know just talking to other people further down and trying to make it work I suppose that's yeah. where the um, quorum sense what's that I mean mm. what's that been like for you since you've been on that discussion oh, group huge eh? like just yeah I don't contribute too much what well, I try to do sometimes but other times I get a bit busy but even just listening to the like reading some of the conversations that happen and some things spark and I'm like oh, wow, well, that's actually... People ask some questions I would ask anyway, so I don't have to do anything. So I just read them all. And that, um, yeah, makes you feel like you're on the right way. You're, you're seeing other people are already ahead of you and like, oh, wow, they're already doing this. And even like, I think Mike Porter put one up real early on in the 
like when I was in the dive drought, and he was he's you know cropping away, and he put this wheat cover crop in after his wheat crop, and the it was like six weeks, and the crop was like three ton or something, and I was like, how the hell can you grow that in six weeks with no moisture? Like that, I'm like, this must be happening to me sometime. You know, gives you hope. I guess. Keeps you, yeah. Keeps you going right. We've got to go the right way. And he's been doing it for a bit longer that sort of way as well. So, um, so there's been key people that I've been looking through, and it's like, wow, they're, you know, pushing and having that, because on that WhatsApp group and that diversity, they're not just sheep, beef farmers, the dairy farmers, we're crop farmers, we're they're everything. So I picked up stuff from the crop farmers. I'm like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. I can do it. You know, when we're doing our rotation of cropping, and you know, we're a small scale, but it all still kind of tinkers in. I find that too, eh? Like it's um, there's always little bits you can pick up, like elements of someone's what they're up to, and then also like their thought process, or like when they're mm. talking through a problem mm. or or a success, and um, you can you know realize that a lot of the time we're thinking the same ways, and it's mm. um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool to have that. Um, yeah, mm. Unders- understand how they think mm. and their mindset. That's probably the most, probably the critical mm. thing. But yeah. Or, yeah, also a lot of people on that on that app are forward thinkers. Mm. I believe, like, just they're out there always curious, um, and being part of that sort of group is just it's been great for me. Definitely been great for me because it's always like when you're out with, not saying direct friends <laughs> or friends, but there's always that hesitant of speaking how you speak or, um, you know, you're doing things differently and you look like a bit of a they already weirdo. Think, they already hmm, think we're half mad anyway. Yeah. We don't need to add more yeah, fuel to the fire. I, I, I kind of do struggle too, like, yeah, even like amongst conventional farmers, even around like my own area, you know, they're all talking <coughs> about, you know, trying to get, like, keep up with their spraying and, mm, you know, all these mm. other things. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, I feel so foreign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was even at a winter crop day and like, you know, and it, 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 to be honest, some of those crops were outstanding and I scratched my head thinking, well, I've got really nothing to show you because, you know, it doesn't look as good on my place. But it didn't, it didn't look bad. But but the other struggles they were struggling about, you know, like diseases in crop or have had to spray aphids or have had done this and that. And, um, and I'm just saying, you know, thinking to myself, I'm a bit foreign here, but if you did it my way, you probably wouldn't have to do any of that. Or no, you, or you do, it, do it the other way, you, didn't have, you wouldn't have as much issues or something mm. like that. Um, like all the, like nitrate poisoning, like in your rapes, or even oats, and, you know, measuring how much fur they had put on and thinking all that, and they all, you know, the general conversation is, um, oh, it's just not mature enough, it's just not not ready, and, you know, there's a six-ton rape crop, not quite ready, and it's like, it's a pretty awesome rate crop um, for the season and things like that. And I thought, I'll think to myself, well, if you had a diverse crop at six ton, you'd graze it right now. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even blink an eye about nitrate poisoning. You just don't get that. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I think. And then, but I just had those struggles with them. But then, I think it will change eventually. Mm. And, and do um, you, like hearing you share about what it's like for you as an observer in the group of of Quorum Sense and. Uh, how people are for you, and and you sort of said that you don't contribute that much. Well, I, I know you contribute plenty, and uh, and and I just want to ask, like, do you get that that you are that for all of those people in the group? Like, how much you actually contribute? I definitely think so. Um, I don't know if I've been told, but and um, yeah, I definitely try and yeah, it's in the back of my mind. It's like trying to yeah, 
contribute as much to the, yeah. the industry or to the wider people as much as I can to you know, see what we can do or see what performance we can get. Um, and it's been like that where even with our sheep performance. Um, was trying to, like, I had a goal when I first started and we've achieved it in consecutive years now, um, getting a half-bred or now quarter-bred turtles up to 60 kilos as a turtle to go to the ram. And that was an old, that was, that would be an open goal. Most, you know, said, oh, 55 is good enough. But no, it's not 60. And we've actually grabbed that consecutive years in a row. This year was actually, I think we got down to 55, actually, because we actually had to pull them back. Um, and then we just flushed them up. But we actually achieved those goals and we're getting those, that flew through um, as well. So that was kind of like, and yeah, that's one example of trying to show that we've, you know, lead the way in a tougher country to get our to-dos to that because the flat guys are obviously there, but the guys in between, you know, they, there's always an excuse and I always hate having excuses for myself. Mm. I'm like, no, you've got to do You can do it. Mm. Um, and if, if I can do it with a quarter-bred uh, quarter ewe lamb, um, if I can do it with a quarter bred ewe lamb, then you wean it 23, 24 yeah, kilos, kilos if you're lucky, and you can get it a 60. Well, 60. 57, yeah. Mm. 60 kilos. And you have to do it. Like, on our country. Yeah, on your country. Yeah. You know, three three multiple either. years in yeah. the trot. Mm. Yeah. Then that's. Um, and even work. we've had those scannings, like, because we scanned it to see how it all went. Some, some years that I thought, oh, well, there is probably not much point in getting it at 60 kilos. Because um, we didn't actually scan, we had a good injury rate, but we didn't really scan it good. Like, we're around 115 or 120. I was like, oh, well, that was a waste of an effort, you know. I was, when they were 53, I scanned 110%. I'm not gaining much here. And then it wasn't until I followed those two dos through, and then I actually got the next generation two slightly better. But those two dos through, those four dos scanned at 170. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Why have I done? Like, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yep. Um, so we obviously set them up for life. And then I thought, well, if they start going that through the flock, then there's no, yeah, my scanning's going to hit the, well, could hit the roof. I thought 170 would be the max. Um, and our tutor's actually gone better. We've done 140% scanning with an empty rate of 3% last year, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and the tutor's, and then we've just, yeah, worked on that. But that was just an example too try and show people you can do it hmm. as well. How would you say your decision making's changed, like the process involved in the in the mindset around decision making, would you say that that's changed since you've been developing and learning? Yeah, definitely changed. Especially in the last year or six months, because everything's everything's about like reducing inputs in my own eyes. So if that's drench, um, not to, not try and I don't drench like I do try and drench if it's a poor sheep or, and um, and I now well now we're actually just trying to cull them out and say why why you keep coming back, so we do try and work that work that out and work but try and reduce it. Like, I don't like drenching all the time, um, and everything yeah all of it's based on reducing inputs. Got to figure out how to get it less. Um, and another big focus on like just recoveries of pasture and everything. To, yeah, for me, is to do try and grow more grass or grow more feed, so to speak. Um, yeah, and I don't like putting, I've actually gotten real green. I don't like even putting chemical down sheep's throats. I'm like, oh, maybe just do the ones that actually might need to have some help from it. And then we'll sort them out later on, maybe cull them out. Um, 
as well. So that's been a big change. Like Roger, Roger Beatty's mindset is mm. like deselecting those poor ones. Mm. As, yeah, as well. Like accelerating the top end, it's like just deselect mm. that bottom end bottom constantly. End, yeah. mm. It was funny, we were actually listening to that on the way down here. And um, I said to them, I've been telling people this for 10 years to, <laughs> to change the way they, you know, breed sheep like this. And, to, you know, we're obviously breeding it for our own merino type sheep and we always select a short fat, you know, thing. Everything that Roger Beatty was saying, I was like, this is what I've been telling people for years. Because um, I've never actually, I only met him once. But, um, yeah, and that is a key thing. It's not worry about the top for ones, worry about the bottom end. Um, and I, I, I believe still aid them along, but then just flip them off. Um, and but then yeah, the other way is you, if you need so many replacements, you just take what you don't need and then just keep working. Um, and that comes into a whole other breeding side of it where we've discussed like mob breeding and bring your own, taking your own rams off and breeding, you know, so to speak, line breeding and mm. all that sort of stuff, like breeding from our own core. Due to big diversity of arguments as mm. well. What are, what are the key things you're breeding for, like with with your sheep? What are, what, what are you chasing? So from the start was about composition. So they had to walk up and down and hold their weight pretty much. And we're half steep country, so they've got to do that. And they've got to rear at least one lamb, but now probably trying to get to two. Um, so they had to hold that and had to be healthy and low, trying to be a more low input sheep. So I was less a drench, so to speak. Which we've accomplished that. We actually had this first year, we actually haven't drenched the sheep. Um, oh no, I drenched the bottom end just, just now, recently, because we've had a bit tight. So yeah, I've had to, yeah. those have fallen over. But the rest of the years haven't been drenched. Um, and, but the other core thing was our wool. Because um, we still, we've got contracts and um, we're breeding, yeah, we're breeding wool for obviously the market for our socks and garments and stuff. So that's been a huge focus um, on bringing length of wool and the quality of wool that you want, um, which is well, but the structure of the animal came first and then the wool's kind of just come, come on, yeah, coming yeah. in now. Um, and we've seen that lift in our wool weights just in the last uh, year or two, just slowly coming through with our younger stock coming in. But we've pretty much fixed the composition because all I still buy rams, outsource rams, um, and we, I was still of the belief to buying the best I could buy. The, the, it was the ram that was perfect, like perfect shape, perfect feet, and had a good fleece. That was it. Boom. Didn't matter what money I paid. Sometimes I paid too much. <laughs> but you got the sheep, and then you got to breed. And I started trying to find the sheep that were always the same, regardless of the breeder, trying to find the sheep that looked the same. And then just, that's it, and then put them in. Um, but yeah, we've have, yeah, it's always the same. It's the same. I've got multiple breeds of sheep. And I'm always focusing on the same traits in the, within the breed. Um, and it's, they all come out the same. They all come out the same, short, stocky, can walk up a hill, walk up a hill sheep. Um, and that's, that's what we breed. And so wool quality-wise, like where are you sitting? What, what micron are you getting and where, where are you supplying oh. it to? So most of it's all through NZ Merino. Um, and we've got smart wool contracts for a hoggit. So our hoggit's now currently at uh, 20 micron. And they'll probably sit around that now. Um, that's, we're pretty happy with that. Um, and our ewes will tentatively be between probably below 24, 24, 23 with those micro. It might even be 22 if they don't course out too much. Um, and we, yeah, we're obviously, yeah, we're focusing on length as well. Um, I don't actually don't know the length off my head now, but um, mm. 
Yeah, just because we've got... The funny thing was, when we changed from a longer, lankier, taller sheep, um, we lost our wool weight. So we're doing five kilos of sheep of wool, but when I started selecting for all the short traits and actually a bit more cleaner points, um, the wool weight went down to like three kilos. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> now I've got to refocus, find the sheep that actually bring out the, you know, and then wool length was one of the big driver of wool weight. Um, and we're just going to keep that, um, you know, keep the crimps and the, don't have a wall break and all that sort of stuff. But it's all basically nutrition. And um, yeah, and then since we've managed to focus on fleece length, yeah, well, our wall weights, you know, we're four kilos this year. I, you know, we brought it back. It takes time, but it did bring it back. Um, and our hoggets have been going up 200 grams year on year. So they were going the right way. Yep. On wall quality. And it's all, it's all contracted and it's... Um, well, the hoggets are all contract. Our main fleece, once we get under 24, we'll start to contr- yeah, have it signed up for more contracts. Um, and then through this whole region thing, it's just because we're already doing it, it actually goes um, hand-in-hand with what NZ Marino's wanting yes. to do and with the ZQRX, and we're, well, I think, one of the first 30 top in the first 30 farms to be done through that. So, yeah, we're stoked to be a part of that. And, and we, since we... Went, we used to be on a road bar like broker system, and since we went to NZ Merino, oh, I've never had so much fun farming sheep like, just <laughs> for the wool and for the wool quality and their their enthusiasm about it, the industry and that. So that's given us huge. It's been pretty exciting yeah. to watch. Like, mm. I'm like, you know, not a not a sheep man myself, or let alone a merino or fine wool farmer, but it's pretty exciting to watch mm. what's happening in that space mm. for sure. And you, and you guys don't even have to do anything really. You just you already meet yeah. most of the criteria. Mm. You just oh, it was, yeah, it's, quite it's, interesting sitting down when they brought out like the new RX program and um, she came up and had the whole booklet and we were going through stuff and we're like, oh, yeah, so we're doing that and yeah, no, we're pretty good on that and that, that's that's pretty nice for us and we were like, okay, we'll just carry on the way we're going yep. then and it's a great system because it works on never giving you a 100% or, you know, a 10 out of 10, it always gives you room for improvement. So no matter how good you are on their RX system, there's always a way to get better. And so even if you mm. have been, yeah, have been doing it, it's such a good system to work into exactly where we want to be right now. And it just, it was the perfect, perfect timing for us as well as multiple other people, everyone else we've spoken to has said exactly the same thing as us. They said, this is where we wanted to be anyway. And it's just sort of mashed everything quite nicely together and it, and it fits. It's almost like the, the definition of leadership, isn't it? Being out there in front and eventually the right people come in behind you. <laughs> oh, definitely, eh? Definitely. Awesome, guys. Well, um, why don't we dive into our final big question, which is um, if you were able to say anything to anyone that was just new to the space and perhaps curious about what Mark was or both of you guys were when you first discovered the, the rabbit hole... And what would you say to those people? I think the biggest thing you could say to anyone is, and sort of shoot myself in the foot here, but don't say no to everything. Don't just out of spite go, no, I don't understand that. I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I'm a big believer in understanding what I'm doing, but don't say no. Just give yourself a chance to learn it or watch it or go and talk to the right person and Find someone, there is always someone that will have a conversation with you and, and make it happen or watch what they're doing or even just try it in a little paddock. Like Mark always laughs at me and 
we have our conversations, but I've got the horses and I've got my own system going on there and I'm doing my own trials and yeah, they've got nothing to do with what Mark's doing, but I'm figuring it out as I go along and even if all it is, it's just a matter of doing it that way, yeah, don't say no. Do people say you can't regeneratively graze horses? <laughs> That's been proven wrong. I'll send them to Laura. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, the, the thing for me... Um, well, to just just change one one thing I, that you can think you can control, and the easiest one is to do a cover crop because you can see the, the the work in it. And um, and I would suggest pick it on your roughest paddock, like even if it's a fodder bit paddock that's been pugged up. Just even if you have to think you have to level it, just maybe just do a light wee max tool and then direct drill it and just see what happens. Um, and you don't have to, you only have to put the seed in. Um, and you'll see if it works or not work or doesn't work. Um, hopefully, it would work because <laughs> um, that's exactly how we started. And then I got into the whole management side of it. But that's a visual, very visual one to just even just even you don't even have to do a hectare of a cyber pack and just get some seed. Guys drilling probably there anyway. So if you're drilling kale, it's the same drill. Just put the seed in next to it and put it in, and put another hectare of that. Um, that would be easiest. And keep your mind open. Like, just because it didn't work, like, find out why it didn't work before you dismiss it. Um, and talk, yeah, and, yeah, talk to other people that are in that space. You know, we're not shy. You know, most <laughs> of us can have a yarn. Um, especially even the consultants that work in this space, they are very good to approach as well. So that would be, yeah, and like, like Laura just yeah, don't say no. Just try and understand what's going on and work it out. Mm. Thank you very much. No, no thanks awesome for having you. us. It's been great. It's um, been a really good chance to have a good mesh out in a conversation. So, no, thanks. No, we've had a really good time. So. This podcast was supported by MPI's Productive and Sustainable Land Use Extension Services Fund. The information, opinions and ideas presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. Any reliance on the content provided is done at your own risk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Quorum Sense podcast. Subscribe, share, and if you have any comments, questions or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at quorumsense.org.nz or visit the quorumsense.org.nz website where you can also access past episodes. We hope you have an enjoyable week and that you've got something of real value from this podcast. Be sure to join us for the next exciting episode. We'll see you then.